0: 2985, or send an email to openline at EWTN.com.
1: A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you've got a question for Father John Tregilio, just simply pick up the telephone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. You know, it's a good thing I was going downstairs, Father.
0: Yeah? If I were running (laughs)
1: upstairs, you wouldn't be able to hear me at all at this point. I'd be so (laughs) out of breath. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd love to have your call. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we will put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is ewtn.com. I am Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gabensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window. And it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every single Monday the one and only Father John Tregilio. How are you? Well, maybe Father John Tregilio is hosting the program today, and maybe he's not. We're having a little internet difficulty with Father John. But in the meantime, please pick up the phone. Give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Um, The email address, openline at EWTN.com, and uh, we may use your email at the beginning of a program or on a special mailbag edition of EWTN's Open Line Monday. Either one are a definite possibility. Uh, You know, you can hear EWTN radio on many of the smart speaker systems that are out there. Um, Give it a try when you have an opportunity. Just simply say, Alexa, ask EWTN to play radio, and voila, you will be up and running. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Father Father John, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, well, look at that. Nice of you to join
2: us. (laughs) We had a power outage for some reason.
1: Well, that's no good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all all difficult questions. That's your penance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Brenda writes it and she says, Father Trujillo, how do we know that the altar in Bullsburg, Pennsylvania is the one Christopher Columbus had <laughs> on his flagship?
2: Uh well, because the guy who ran the police told me. <laughs> <laughs> I, Father Brighetti and I celebrated mass there in the uh, 1992, the quincentenary of Columbus's uh, discovery of America. And uh, the, the Ball family, which uh, the, the place is named after Bowlesburg, just outside of Penn State uh, main campus, the Ball family married into the Columbus family. So one of their uh, ancestors married uh, Christopher Columbus's uh, descendant, and they inherited the whole lock, stock, and barrel of everything he had uh, over there in Europe. And so they brought it here in the United States and uh, we celebrated mass on the altar. Now there's, I'm I'm sure there's some way of verifying it. I didn't ask for any papers or anything like that, but uh, it was a great honor for us to celebrate mass on that. And the man who showed us the place who was the curator uh, said, and it did look over 500 years old, not only the altar, but even uh, some of the things that they had. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, whether or not the Smithsonian would verify it, I don't know.
1: I mean, really, all you had to do was ask it if it takes the first Monday in October off.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I did notice some... uh... Um, Italian stuff laying around there. (laughs) (laughs)
1: There you go. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Al writes in, My wife, who is a convert, was having a conversation with her mother, who was baptized a Catholic but has been a Protestant since her teenage years. My wife asked her why she doesn't practice the faith, and she said it's because my wife's mother's mother was Catholic and married outside of the faith without dispensation. Per the grandmother, she and all of her children, including my wife's mother, when she was a teenager, were excommunicated from the Church because of this. This just doesn't sound right. I could, <laughs> I could be wrong, but I don't think the Church excommunicates minors, especially for the mistakes of their parents.
2: Does yes, the ch- and, yeah. and you don't get excommunicated even for uh, invalid marriage. Uh, you're you're not able to go to receive the sacraments, but it, the the penalty of excommunication is not incurred uh, for someone who gets married uh, invalidly. So that's the first thing, and all the children, uh, even of illicit uh, unions, are still considered um, um, legitimate, legitimate in the eyes of the state. We don't worry about whether or not. Uh, that That's a civil law issue. The, right. the Church got out of that uh, many centuries ago. So, uh, yes, the only one who, who would have got in any type of canonical uh, trouble would have been the person who got married uh, outside the Church. But uh, the descendants are not in that situation, so everybody can come back home.
1: Uh, and then, um, uh, you know, that's a, a stumbling block for uh, many people— um regarding the legitimacy of children when they're um, considering the notion of investigating as to whether or not their marriage was valid, many of them will not even start the process for fear that it will illegitimize children.
2: That's correct, and uh, it has no impact whatsoever, but I I worked in a tribunal uh, for a year, and uh, I can tell you uh, absolutely emphatically, the children's legitimacy is not a canon law issue. It's a civil law. So as long as mom and dad were married in the eyes of the state, as long as they had a civil uh, license and the person who married them was legitimate in the eyes of the state, then their children are legitimate. Um, But uh, even the penalty, if a child is born out of wedlock, uh, under the old, old law, you know, you you couldn't even get ordained without a dispensation. Uh, That's no longer the case. So we don't want people to think that their kids are going to be punished for something done by the parents.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Adam writes in, when did celebrating daily Mass become commonplace? Was this wonderful practice present during the Apostolic Age, or was it more modern?
2: I would say it was much goes back to ancient times. Um, Obviously for 300-some years, when the Church is being persecuted uh, under the Roman Empire. Uh, it wasn't until 313 A.D. with the Edict of Milan of Constantine that uh, legalized Christianity, but we do have evidence when you go to the catacombs, for instance, especially in Rome, you could see that not only was uh, Sunday um, Mass celebrated, what they called it, the breaking of the bread or the sacred liturgy, but it also seems very um probable that they were saying mass during the weekday as well. and um, obviously the, the monks, the monastics uh, uh, since the time of, of Saint Augustine uh, would have celebrated mass every day. As in regards to the, the lay faithful, it would all depend on on uh, where they were located.
1: And Gary wants to know, should the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary be read out loud if you're by yourself, or can you read it silently to yourself? Does it make a difference?
2: Well, you're using one of your senses, your sense of sight with your eyeballs. Uh, That works for me, but I know some people are a little bit more rigorous and would say that you have to at least move your lips or whisper it. But if you're reading the text, uh, that's prayer, okay, because... Uh, that that's part of uh, what we teach them at the seminary. That uh, you know, saying it out loud is certainly helpful, and it's encouraged. But if uh, you know you're just reading it, because what about the people who can't speak? <laughs> They're still praying.
1: Yeah, very good. And oftentimes you'll stumble across a, uh, a member of the clergy with the Divine Office that will be in a chapel somewhere, and uh, in deference to their uh, fellow. Chapel mates at any given time, uh, they'll they'll be silent in that uh, endeavor. So I think it would probably carry over to being by yourself as well, huh? Yeah, and
2: I would again, I would say moving your lips is certainly going to be helpful because the more senses you employ, the the better. But uh, you can still get get by with just reading it.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It is a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. Straight to the phones we go. First up today is Jack in the great state of Indiana, a first-time caller listening on Catholic Radio Indy. Jack, you are on with Father John Tregilio.
3: Thank you, Jack.
1: <laughs> go right ahead with your question.
3: Okay. Uh, from C.S. Lewis' book, to Screwtape Letters, yes. does Satan have a devil assigned to each person just
2: like God has a guardian angel assigned to each person. Well, that's that. That was the hypothesis of C.S. Lewis, uh, not just uh, in his uh, fictional work, the Screw Tape Letters, but I think even uh, theoretically, uh, the Church has not made such a, a definition. Uh, it's dogma that every individual has a guardian angel assigned to them. Um, whether or not the devil would assign. Uh, a, a misguardian, fallen angel. I don't know. Um, you know, it's it, it's speculative to say to say the the, the best. Um, I would say though, you know, the, the devil's not beyond doing something like that. There are so many uh, fallen now. In regards to number wise, uh, one third of the angels went bad. Two thirds remain good. Yeah, I
1: was going to say he's out number two to one. So, <laughs> but,
2: but that's in regards to angels. <laughs> um, and with uh, if you had your personal demon. Who's to say you're, you're not getting a retread, you know, someone that was used before? Um, but I, I would say it's more important to realize that the devil does not tolerate mutiny. So anyone who's under his employ does what he wants and nothing else.
3: Does that help, Jack? Thank you, Jack. I appreciate that. And by the <laughs> way, I like your
1: wife's show, too. <laughs> Thank you. I like it myself. Eight three three two eight 288 ewTn pair of jacks. Father, have you ever been in the presence of such brilliance? <laughs> 833- I wish I had
2: that Atlantic City.
1: Eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. We head next to Lafayette, Louisiana. Jimmy is a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jimmy, you are on with Father John Tregilio.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Father. Uh, I don't have a question. I don't understand when we're saying our prayers in church and it says we shall be judged, he will judge a living in the dead. I don't understand why you would... I don't understand that, how you would judge the dead. I thought they would already be judged.
0: Uh, uh,
2: yes, you are right. It's, it's, it's a figure of speech uh, because uh, judgment takes place at death. Uh, you're not judged while you're alive, but the very moment you die and you're one of the dead, a particular judgment takes place. But we also have the general judgment, which takes place at the end of time with the second coming of Christ. And at the general judgment, it's not a reprieve, it's not uh, an appeal, it's just a manifestation of all the the private uh, judgments that have been made through the centuries. So the judge of living and the dead, it's a way of describing that uh, God's jurisdiction is over both the living and the dead.
1: How's that, Jimmy? That, that answered my question. Thank you very much. You Please. are very welcome. We appreciate the call today. That opens you, you up You know, a we have, Oop, ahead, we have
2: seminarians from his area coming to the mouth this year.
1: Oh, is Lafayette. that right? Yes. Hey, I'm going to tell you something right now. There's a whole lot worse places in Lafayette, Louisiana. <laughs>
2: It's a nice place. It's a really
1: they they say it's the happiest place in America. That's what the moniker of the town is. And there's I
2: thought that was Hershey. Oh, no, that's sweetest part of, of yeah. the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, uh, well, I, I won't, I'll stay away from that one. Okay. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Next up is Nathaniel. He is in Houston, Texas. Another first-time caller listening on Guadalupe Radio. Nathaniel, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John.
3: Hi, Father John. I appreciate you taking the call. I uh, really just wanted to hear about how the church reconciles uh, verses, such as Romans chapter nine, verse eighteen, where Paul kind of talks about how the Lord hardens whom He wills and has mercy on whom He wills, and then as well as in Ephesians one, verses three through six, talking about how the Lord has chosen us to be to be without blemish before Him, and like He chose us before we were created. And how
2: do we reconcile that with uh, with our free will? Okay, it was a little bit choppy uh, from what I could hear. Um, I guess he's asking about predestination.
1: Yeah, a, a little bit. Um, kind of, uh, you know, referencing how uh, you know God blesses and 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 who He wills, and in Ephesians, you know, where it talks about. Uh, you know, before time began, he chose us to be holy and blameless yes. in his sight. And how we reconcile that with having free will?
2: Okay, well, that, that's one of the biggest uh, mysteries uh, of of the of all ages. Um, and the church has always, you know, been very insistent. We don't believe in an absolute predestination, like John Calvin did. Calvin believed that you were uh, already predestined to heaven and predestined to hell. Uh, in the Catholic theology. Uh, we believe in a modified form of predestination, in in that God um, decides uh, that He wants certain individuals to be in heaven, but it's He does not coerce their free will. So, for instance, with the Virgin Mary, even though she has the grace of the immaculate conception, her free will was never violated. Nevertheless, God's grace also affected uh, what He wanted. So, uh, God never wills that someone goes to hell. But he permits them uh, to choose that, and, and, uh, you know that th- that's a free choice someone makes if they don't want to go to heaven, if they want to go against God's will. Uh, and nevertheless, you know those who are in heaven, they didn't get there accidentally. You know God wanted them uh, to be there. So we have to make a distinction between God's permissive will, what He allows, and His ordained will, what He chooses to happen. And all, all the time. It keeps intact our human free will, which is still a mystery, because we are not like in Greek uh, and Roman mythology little pawns of the gods who move us around like on a chessboard. Uh, God created us with a free will because He Himself has a free will. He has a divine intellect and a do- and a divine will. Uh, our will is free, um, but grace will also uh, motivate us to go in the right direction.
1: You can know the outcome without affecting the outcome, huh? That's true. Yeah. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Another first-time caller. Father John, you must be abundantly approachable today. Anne <laughs> is in the great state of Michigan listening on Ave Maria Radio. And you are on with Father John Tregilio.
3: Yes, I want to know why the clergy doesn't encourage people to say the rosary,
0: and why what happens to the, five, the first Friday devotions and first Saturday devotions, and why doesn't something be done about this shameful way people, women, dress in church?
2: Okay. <laughs>
1: I think Anne needs to meet some new clergy.
2: <laughs> yes, I have to say, I was pastor for 16 years uh, in the same two parishes, St. Bernadette and Duncannon, and... Our Lady Good Council, Marysville, and I aggressively promoted and encouraged the rosary. I know our Knights at Columbus faithfully prayed the rosary. I had Cursistas who prayed the rosary, uh, the Council of Catholic Women who prayed the rosary, regular parishioners prayed the rosary. Um, we promoted it. We promoted it during Eucharistic Holy Hours. Um, you know, so, and the First Friday, First Saturday devotions, um, I know me and many of my classmates. I know when Father Brigenti was pastor in uh, Saint Magdalens in Flemington. You know he uh, pushed and promoted and had First Friday and First Saturday devotions. So if it's not being done, ask the priest. Okay, uh, we, we're gone. Are the days where you just presume things are being done? Just ask, but ask in a in, in a nice way. Say, Father, could we do this? Could you know? Uh, because sometimes priests, I won't say, are against it. But I think, you know, they're looking for the fact that some lay people are going to actually want to do it. They don't want to force anything down their throats. At the same token, they would like to see that people are actually going to be receptive to that. So when people ask, then that tells the pastor, yes, there is some interest there. Now, regarding um, what people wear, um, I always had a sign in in my vestibule, please um, dress modestly, uh, speak softly and act reverently. And I left that to their their own discretion. I'm not going to go into the thing of how long skirts or pants need to be, um, you know, whether they wear a head covering or not. Um, You know, people need to use their common sense and prudence. But I, again, I would say because of, you know, the way things are today, I don't have the opportunity. I would say lay people do. If somebody is dressed immodestly, then someone should, you know, exercise some fraternal charity with charity and say, hmm, you know, uh, this might not be appropriate without being, you know, uh, nasty to anybody about it.
1: You know, and I think that's the key to it, is that if we approach it with an inviting spirit and a gentle spirit, um, I know more about the faith today than I knew yesterday. I am more devout in my faith today than I was yesterday. And I think that that can be said about almost all of us, and we should keep that in mind when we're approaching other folks, huh?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I used to put in my bulletin, I don't know how many people would have read it or not, I said, please, you know, uh, you don't want to be an occasion of sin, nor do you want to be an occasion of disgust. So think about that, when you what you put on when you go to church.
1: 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It is a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Nikki is another first-time caller. She's in southern Missouri listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Nikki, you are on with Father John Tregilio.
3: Hi. Thanks for taking my call. You're very welcome. Um, my question is, uh, we have a grandson born out of wedlock. His, our son is the father. And... The parents of our grandson, both, they have joint custody and share his uh, custody 50-50. When our son approached our parish priest about having his three-year-old baptized, he was denied baptism because our parish priest said that the mother would not agree to the baptism. And my question is, well, it it appears to me that... He is being denied the sacraments because of his one parent, and I want to know why he can't be baptized.
2: Okay, well, that that is a very good question, and I have to say, you know, canon law requires that at least one of the parents, the legal parents of the child, uh, you know, consents to the baptism, and... Uh, the priest or deacon needs to you know, have some confidence that the kid will be raised in the faith. But whether or not the parents are married is not the issue here. So what we do is we may postpone the baptism, but we never deny it. So maybe they need to speak to another priest in another parish.
1: 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Monday with Father John Tragilio.
0: This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: For the first time this hour, we've got a couple of open phone lines for you. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Elizabeth. She is another first-time caller in San Antonio, Texas. She's listening on Guadalupe Radio. Elizabeth, thank you so much for holding on. Welcome to the program.
3: All right. Thank you for taking my call. Um, My question is, were the fallen angels in heaven when they disobeyed? Because I heard that if the angels had seen God, that they would not have been able to disobey Him. So were they kicked out of heaven, or were they somewhere else?
2: That is an excellent question um because uh, as i tell the seminarians what i teach in the catechism class once you're in heaven you're always in heaven once you have the beatific vision you see god face to face your will is totally perfectly satisfied because it's in possession of the supreme good and your intellect is perfectly uh, satisfied because it's in possession of uh, all truth that being said the angels were not in heaven the moment they were created And then they were put to a test, just like Adam and Eve were. And the the two-thirds of the angels, who remained good, went to heaven, like Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, and his friends. And then Lucifer, and then the one-third who went bad, were cast into hell. So the description, though, is sometimes that this battle took place in the heavens. Uh, That just means off the earth. Now, angels are are spiritual. They don't take um, up—they're not material— they don't have atoms or molecules, so they don't take up space. Um, that being said, uh, the way to describe it is, we, you know, especially in Scripture, they talk about being in the heavens. Uh, but that doesn't mean they are in the heaven, because once you're there, you can't get out. Um, not that you would want to, okay? Um, so, yes, it's true. The, the angels w- existed outside of heaven. Uh, they were put to a test, and then the good ones got in. The bad ones will never get in.
1: Does that help, Elizabeth?
3: Yes. Thank you for clearing that up for me.
1: Thank you for the phone call. We appreciate it today. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Pick up the phone and give us a call. Adam writes in, With all the good fruit being born out of the ecumenical movement, I've been praying fervently for the reunion of the Eastern Orthodox, Oriental, and Catholic communions. As many know, both both Eastern and Oriental Orthodoxy have different canons of Scripture. How would this be reconciled? More importantly, what would Christological slash ecclesiastical issues, how would they be handled? And thirdly, what's the best way to evangelize both groups? (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, we're all praying for the reunion of the the, the two lungs, as been described by John Paul. Um, at no point is the Catholic Church um, going to dilute or surrender any uh, dogmas or doctrines. But the discipline, the the legal aspects, certainly can be modified because uh, you know that is not of of the divine uh, origin. So, um, you know, the the fact that the pope is the supreme head of the church, the vicar of Christ, the successor of St. Peter, that's an article of faith. Um, Now, how he responds and interacts with the patriarch of Constantinople or the patriarch of Moscow or the patriarch of any other, the other patriarch hates, um, you know, that's a different matter. But there is one supreme head of the church, and whether or not you use an ecumenical council or a synod of bishops, or any other mechanism, those are more uh, legal terms. Um, The canon of Scripture certainly, you know, was defined for us at the Council of Trent. Um, You know, the the Orthodox uh, do have a slightly different uh, canon than we do in the the Latin Church. These are all things that need to be worked out, the details. Um, Certainly, the sacraments have been and will be always valid in both uh, the Eastern Orthodox and in the, uh, the Catholic church Um, that is, you know, goes without saying. Um, But the other things like papal infallibility, papal primacy, uh, these are things that uh, are going to be more than just a stumbling block because it's part and parcel of what we believe as, as Catholic Christians. So um, I think there's going to be some closer movement towards unity But the only way you're going to get full unity is what we have with the Eastern Catholic churches like, uh, you know, like the Ruthenians, the Ukrainians, the Melkites, Maronites and so forth. Uh, They're part of the church. They accept the, the, you know, the authority of Saint uh, of of the Vicar of Christ, uh, the Bishop of Rome, and they keep their Eastern traditions as well.
1: Does that help? Oh, it was an email. How am I doing? <laughs>
2: he'll, he'll respond tomorrow. I'm
1: just going to wait for a response to come back by email. That, is, that would make for some really riveting radio. 833 288 um, EWTN is our toll free number. All right, now you've done it, Father. You have confused Uh-oh. Noreen in Wyoming. Uh oh. She is listening on Spirit Catholic Radio today. Noreen, you're on with Father John Trigilio.
3: Yeah, I have a. You said um, once in heaven you don't get out, but what about you know? I've seen an angel before, and when Mary
1: has. So basically, Father, if you if once you're in heaven you can't get out, how do angels and the Virgin Mary appear to people?
2: That's a good question, and according to St. Thomas Aquinas, who wrote the Summa Theologica, uh, we are not seeing. A physical entity because first of all angels are immaterial there's pure spirit Mary's body is in heaven so what happens st. Thomas says is that um, something is impressed upon our senses so our eyeballs see something or think they're seeing something but in actuality then it does not take up space so if let's say for instance like the apparition of Our Lady at Lourdes that truly happened Uh, Mary appeared to St. Bernadette, but uh, if you were to take a photograph, you probably wouldn't see anything, okay, or if they had one of those motion detectors, okay, because her body is in heaven, and yet Bernadette saw something, so it was not a figment of her imagination, her eyes perceived something, but it wasn't something physical,
1: Thanks, Noreen. We appreciate the question today. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Next up is Eileen, another first-time caller in Columbus, Ohio, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Eileen, you're on with Father Tregilio.
3: Oh, hi. Thank you, Father, for the call. Uh, my question is in regard to a wedding. My son is being married outside the church. I am attending, and he asked me if I would participate in a a unity ceremony that's supposed to be Celtic in origin called a fasting, in which the parents or mothers are supposed to come up and tie something around. Um, I said no, but he asked. I said I hadn't checked it out with the priest, but I assumed that I would not be able to participate.
2: Yeah, I would say I understand because it is your child, and I've had when I was a pastor. I said, to no, look, you know, you're you go that you're going because you're the parent. But as a Catholic parent, you can't give your full endorsement of what's happening. So you're there because you love your son. Um, but I would not participate in, in that way. You know, it, 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 he should be glad that you're going to be there. But you need to convey to everyone present You're there, if not under duress, you know, you're not there comfortably because this is not a valid marriage. Uh, This is not what you would have wanted for your son. And it's not just for you, but for him as well. Um, So your presence there is not to uh, be a sign that, oh, we're, we're endorsing this. But the same token, it makes it clear that you're there for one reason only, because it's, it's your son, okay? And you don't want to close the door on that. That being said, I know some parents who, you know, opted not to go at all, and I respect that. But those who, who do go, I can understand them going. You have to make a look as if, you know, this something else is going on. Um, I had a wedding once where some Southern Baptists came and they were there, but everybody could tell, you know, uh, they weren't happy campers. They were not rude. They were not uh, obnoxious. But you could tell by the look on their face, um, you know, they weren't in a happy place. And I respected them for that. I, I disagree with it, but I certainly respect them for that. So I say to parents who do go to these things, you know, uh, don't treat it like a normal wedding where you get all gussied up and give them an expensive present and and hoop and holler like Is, everything's okay. No. Let, let it be known verbally or in writing to your, your, your son and future daughter-in-law that, hey, We're not happy about this. You know, we would wish and pray and hope you would reconsider doing it the right way. Um, But uh, if we go, we're going for one reason, because we love you, not because we love everything you do.
1: God bless you, Eileen, and you'll have a lot of our listeners that will be keeping you in prayer regarding this situation. 288 EWTN is our toll free number. Eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Mary is in Atlanta, Georgia, listening on Sirius XM channel one thirty. Mary, you're on with Father John Tragilio.
3: Hi, Father. My question is: I think I've seen it in the Psalms. That I've come across it in my reading a lot lately. Could you um, elaborate a little bit on what a sacrifice of praise means and in-
1: Father, are you with us? Yes. Sacrifice of praise, can you elaborate on that?
2: Okay, well, that's, I mean, there's a number of interpretations one could give to that. Um, Certainly, uh, the the typical biblical understanding of a sacrifice of praise is that, um, like, for instance, when um, Abel sacrificed to God uh, in the Old Testament, unlike his brother Cain, who took the refuse, the the worst of his crops, okay, the rotten vegetables and that, uh, Abel took the best of his herd, sacrificed it, but not out of an odious obligation, but because he wanted to give praise to God to show that God was the most important thing to him. And so he did it with, with, with happiness and joy. And so it's like when a mom or dad makes sacrifices for their children, it's, you know, the proper way is not out of odiousness that, oh, well, this is something I have to do because I'm their parent and I brought them into the world, but I love my children. Or, conversely, when you're taking care of your older parents, I'm making these sacrifices out of my gratitude for what they've done. And so a sacrifice of praise, you know, is making time for a holy hour. A sacrifice of praise is getting to Mass every Sunday or weekday Mass or praying your rosary every day or reading the scriptures every day uh it's a little inconvenience but it's 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 the right intention of why you're doing this
1: does that help
3: very helpful thank you
1: you're very welcome we appreciate the phone call 833 ewtn is our toll-free number Teresa is in Seattle, Washington, uh, watching us today on YouTube. Teresa, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John.
3: Hi, Father John. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Can you hear me okay?
1: Yeah, we can hear you just fine.
3: Okay, great. I'm stopping. Um, I had something happen to me a long time ago, and I'm just wondering if it was real or not. My sister and I were caravanning on a camping trip in two different cars and her car was in a, involved in a wreck and she died there on the road. We were in Alaska. So there was no help for her They're, They couldn't get to her soon enough. And so when we were going to the hospital with the other people, I got in the front of the ambulance with the ambulance driver. And I was, as you might know, just heartbroken and absolutely devastated. But the ambulance driver was a man. And my question is, is can Satan present himself to you, as a human, because the ambulance driver, when I was getting in the car, was kind and nice and being very thoughtful, but I, he said something like, "Where? How are you feeling?" And I said, "I am just thanking God that I believe in God because I know she's in heaven." And he physically changed appearance. I don't know how to how to say it, but he was dark and he was old and he was it was almost smoky. And he started talking very loudly, saying, "What do you mean? Your sister's in heaven? There is no heaven. There is no God. He would never let this happen to you." He would never let your sister die on the side of the road. This is ridiculous for you to hang on to this. Pick up for yourself. I mean, he just went on this roll of these horrible things. And I had a little card in me that said, New Life is... Somebody just handed me this card that afternoon that said, New Life is salvation in Jesus Christ. And I pulled it out for some reason, and I read it, and I read it to him. And he just became the same man, the, the younger ambulance driver. It was... I mean, it was... Day and night, just a switch from yelling at me and telling me that there was no God, to he went away. And the man was back. And my family thinks that I just lost my head for a minute, and lost my mind, because of what I've just been through. But I know it felt truly like the devil, and I wonder, does he ever manifest that way?
2: Well, it certainly is, is, is not beyond his purview. I mean, he is able to appear... As we read in scripture, as an angel of light, although it's a false uh, angel of light. So, yes, he can appear in any form he he wishes. And very, I mean, it's not like Hollywood where he's going to appear as, uh, you know, with a goat's legs and a pointed tail and horns and a pitchfork, because if people saw that, they'd run right away to church or they'd run away. Um, I certainly believe that he can and does uh, appear and manifest himself under the guise of, of a human being. Uh, I also believe that he can, uh, possess a person. Um, but I also believe that human beings can be sad to say downright mean nasty and cruel as well. So it could have been, uh, that ambulance driver was just nasty and you were able to help him see the light or the devil was, you know, trying to uh, take advantage of the fact that you were, you were in a bad place. But, uh, Certainly, I mean, uh, I understand what what you're what you were going through. I had a brother who was killed uh, by a drunk driver um, many years ago, and uh, it, it's devastating. But it's only our faith that that keeps us going.
1: God bless you, Teresa. We appreciate that phone call, and we'll keep you in our prayers. Next stop is Billings, Montana. Gary is listening on Billings Billings rather Catholic Radio. Gary, you're on with Father John.
3: Hello. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for taking my call. Um, I really appreciate your show. I I know in the end of John's Gospel, there's a, a scene where the disciples, the apostles, go out fishing, and they come back and they say they caught 153 fish. And so I thought in days gone by that that's kind of an interesting detail that somebody added, but that, i got to be open to John. Uh, using a number like that in some kind of a symbolic way, and I just thought, well, maybe gilio would be interested in making a comment on that. On that.
2: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, 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 you make that uh, question, because when I was in the seminary, one of our professors uh, tried to make us believe that that was evidence that John made that up. Uh, because he was saying there were 153 different uh, known dialects or languages at that time, and this was uh, uh, a numerological construct of John. Um, I went to, uh, I talked to my uh, mentor, Father Levis, of Happy Memory, and he said, John, it's not either or, it's both and. It can be actually 153 fish, and he said, certainly, John, uh, they would have counted, because they were fishermen, they know how to count fish, and the fact that it coincides with the fact that there were that many languages or dialects, you know, uh, God's able to to make things which may appear to us as coincidence, but we call it divine providence. Uh, Yes, John uses a lot of um, metaphor and allegory, but the same token, uh, all the Gospels, all the Scripture, we believe, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And biblical inspiration means that every single word, nouns, verbs, Adjectives, adverbs, prepositions were all inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that means it's inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible. And yet, it's how it's interpreted is the key. Some things are to be interpreted literally, some things are to be interpreted allegorically. Like when Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Uh, thankfully, we don't interpret that literally. Otherwise, there'd be a lot of people wearing patches uh, walking around town, especially with electronic media these days. So yes, I believe that there was actually 153 fish that were in there, and I believe that John saw, you know, beyond what was happening, and saw yes, this is a he's connecting dots, you know, and so I think it can be both and, and not either or.
1: Be sure to check out more to live tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popcheck, Eastern, 10 o'clock Eastern Time. People-pleasing. Are you exhausted from trying to make everybody happy all the time? The Pop Check yes. will help you take care of others while still taking care of yourself. That's more to live tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Chris in the great state of Illinois, listening on the EWTN app. Chris, you're on with Father John Tregilio.
3: Hi. Thanks, guys. Um, I'm just following through on the angel question about them. You know, once they're in heaven, they don't leave heaven. But I was wondering about our guardian angels. So are they never been to heaven yet?
2: Well, uh, yes. Um, See, the the angels who are in heaven, including our guardian angels, um, they don't actually leave heaven because, again, they're spirit, so they don't take up space. So when your guardian angel's with you, um, they're not not there and, and they left heaven. Uh, that's the in the same way when a demon a devil um, um, you know um, possesses someone they're still in hell the demon's still in hell uh, and yet you know we have to, our way of understanding things as human beings because we're body and soul we take up space we exist in time um, we it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that but a demon's always in hell uh, uh, an angels always in heaven and yet they can also, Uh, somehow operate here among us here on earth Uh, that's because they are spiritual they do not take up space they do not have materiality to them
1: God bless you Chris we appreciate the phone call so what you're saying is they're working remotely Father
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah with a little bit more yeah (laughs) with more oomph to it, yeah.
1: We'll head back to your neck of the woods, Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Michael is listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Michael, you're on with Father John Tregilio.
3: Hello, uh, Father. Um, We lost our son, who was 35, a couple years ago. He left a wife and two little boys, and I pray for him daily. And I know a lot of non-Catholics don't believe in praying for the dead. Uh, I would like to think that um, my prayers would maybe shorten his time in purgatory, because I believe he's in purgatory, and I would just like to have some uh, confirmation, not confirmation, but just some uh, words in that regard.
2: Yes, I, I, uh, I, I'm I sorry for your loss, and as I mentioned to the, another caller, um, my brother died. He was 33 when he was killed by the drunk driver, and I had another brother who was 26. He died of muscular dystrophy. Um, Yes, it's a good thing for us to pray for the dead. You know, it's in the book of Maccabees. And, you know, if someone's in heaven, they don't need prayers. If they're in hell, prayers won't do them any good. But if they're in purgatory, uh, and that's a a state of cleansing, it's not hell with parole. It's not some kind of spiritual jail. It's a state of cleansing. That's why we use the word purgatory. Uh, Somehow, we don't know exactly how, somehow prayer does help. Um, so having masses offered uh, for our dead is is the, one of the best things that can be done. Unfortunately, I saw as a pastor, it's starting to drop off. Uh, people, you know, just presume everyone's in heaven. So after the funeral, nobody's having masses uh, celebrated for their loved ones. I thought, geez, if if I was in purgatory, I would want masses offered for me. And I, we had a priest at the seminary, told us uh, of a convent where. Something was going on. It was nothing malevolent or, or uh, scary, but little things were going on, and, and they found out there was a, a nun who died uh, tragically in the laundry room, and uh, she was a good nun, but she was a little careless, and she got she got hurt in an accident. And the priest says, you know what? Maybe she's in purgatory. She needs a mass. And they celebrated mass for her specifically, and all the stuff stopped, okay? So praying every day for our loved ones, because once they're in heaven— your prayers aren't going to be wasted. God's going to use them for someone else. But in the meantime, you know, uh, what, what goes around, comes around, uh, if you help the souls in purgatory, they'll help you pray for you while you're alive here on Earth, and then they'll pray for you when you're in purgatory.
1: How's that, Michael?
2: Oh, that's great.
3: I was just going to—I'm glad he expounded on that, because I'll, my next question was, can they pray
2: for us? Yes, that's what we call the community of the saints— The saints can pray for us. The souls of purgatory can pray for us. We can pray for them. Okay, so that's the communion. The only people who are outside of that communion are the ones in hell. Thank you, Father.
1: Well, thank you, Michael. We certainly appreciate the phone call today. Well, Father, unfortunately, that's going to bring us to the close of another hour. Jim in Atlanta, Maverick in Minnesota. Sorry, but we are flat out of time today. Uh, Father, if you would be so kind as to leave us with a blessing.
2: Okay, benedicta vos omnipotens, deus pater et filius et spiritus sanctus. Amen.
1: Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer Michael McCall, our call screener Matt Bensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for helping us kick off another great week of EWTN's Open Line. Tomorrow, talking faith, family, and fellowship as Father Wade Menezes is in the house. Father Mitch is here on Wednesday. Thursday, it's Father Brian Milady And our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, will be here on Friday for EWTN's Open Line. Until we get together tomorrow with Father Wade, God bless.